Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. It is good to be with you. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us, and uh, we would love a chance to let you know how much we appreciate you being here. So if you could do me a huge favor, our welcome table is right out there as you exit these doors. Uh, we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today before you head home. We also have these uh, little welcome cards you can just fill out and put your name and information, and those come back to me, and it just gives me a chance to reach out with a phone call or an email and say thank you so much for your your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. Um, and before we get started, uh, there's a couple of announcements that we shared last week that I just want to uh, let you guys know about some things that we have going on that are starting soon. Uh, one of those is our women's Bible study. Um, so that is going to start at the end of February. Uh, Blake, do we have that slide for the women's Bible study? Um, so that date is going to be February 28th. It's going to meet on Wednesday nights. It's a 10-week study walking verse by verse through the books of 1st, 2nd, and third John, it's a Jen Wilkins study, if you're familiar with her, phenomenal stuff. Um, my wife Kendra is going to lead that at our house. So again, that's going to start, as you can see there, February 28th. You can sign up right now if you want to, hanescreek.com slash abide. We are asking for $10 per participant to help us cover the cost of the workbooks, but um, please do not let that prohibit you from signing up. If that is a concern or an issue, sign up, let me know, and we got you covered. Don't even worry about that, right? Like, do not let that be the reason you don't sign up. So again, that'll start on the 28th. Uh, men in the room, we are, we are starting something new actually this week on Thursday, January 18th. We're going to start something that we're calling D-Groups. This is a uh, highly intensive accountability group for the men. So we're going to dig deep into each other's lives and help disciple and encourage and hold one another accountable through some life-on-life -life relational discipleship. So if you are interested in looking for something like that, we're going to start out meeting once a month. It'll start this Thursday at my house at 8 p.m. Um, that allows us, you know, help put the kids to bed if you got kids and, and make your way there. Um, and again, this is just relational life-on-life -life discipleship. So if you're interested in that, uh, please let me know, right? We got plenty of room, pl plenty of space. So please let me know before you leave and I'll, I'll get you all the details for that. But that will start on Thursday. And then also our community groups are back in full swing. They started meeting this past week. So if, if we, as we talked about last week, if you are not yet connected to one of our community groups, this is the best place to get to know people, uh, to, to have people know who you are and, and, and know about what's going on in your life and can pray for you and support you. These are sermon-based, discussion-based small groups, right? So each week they're digging into the passage of whatever we were covering on that Sunday. So it's all about a practical application of how can we walk in obedience to the truths that we are studying on Sunday morning. So if you are not yet connected to a group, we got two awesome groups. The Parker group meets on Sunday evenings and the Wynn group meets on Monday evenings. If you are interested in signing up, uh, you can do so right now online or again, you can just let me know and I will get you connected to those groups. So um, I'm going to pray for us and we are going to jump into what we have for today. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the grace that you give us, Lord, to even be here with you and with one another, Lord. So we thank you for this time. We pray your hand a blessing over this time, Lord. Would you, uh, would you teach us? Would you open up our hearts and our minds to what you would have us learn today, Lord? Would you speak through me, Lord? Hide me behind the cross because this is all about you. This is all for you, Jesus. So again, thank you for this time, Lord. Be with us in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, so uh, typically, if you're, if you're a little new here to Haynes Creek, typically what we do on a Sunday during this time is we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. So at the end of December, we finished out chapter two of the New Testament book of Philippians, and we've been on a pause since then, right? We had, new, or we had Christmas Eve, we had New Year's Eve, and then we're doing something different for these first two Sundays, which I'll tell you about in a second. But next week, church, next week, we're going to jump right back into Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. So make sure you're here next week as we dig back into the incredible book of Philippians. But for these first two Sundays in January, we did this last year. We want to do it again. We wanted just to pause and do something that we call Vision Sunday. So last week, what we did is we talked about a high level of who we are as a church, what we believe the Lord has called us to be and to do. And this week, we're going to kind of apply that to the year 2024, right? How are we in this year going to live out that vision? What are some goals, some objectives, some things that we are praying God to do in the life of this church over the next year? So just kind of recap last week, if we can put that discipleship map up on the page, uh, up on the screen, sorry, that uh, our vision map, discipleship map, whatever, I just kind of make up names for it. But this is, this is it. This is who we are, right? This is a visual representation of who we want to be as a church. Our core right there in the center is our vision, right? We exist. The why behind our church, why we exist, why we do this week in and week out is to be a church that loves God, loves people, and makes disciples. That's what we're after. That's what we're seeking to do. And, and everything kind of filters through that vision. All the things that we do or don't do is, is all wrapped around that. And then you see kind of around the perimeter of that are these eight action steps or eight behaviors that we believe if we are doing those things, if we as individuals, if we as families are doing those things, then we will achieve our vision. We will be a church that loves God, loves people, and makes disciples. So that's where we, uh, that's what we did last week. So if you weren't here, I encourage you to check out the podcast. Uh, our YouTube link kind of messed up last week for some reason. Still trying to figure that out, but we do have it up on the podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify. You can find that. You can also find that visual representation out on our table. We have those cards available as well. If you didn't get one last week or you missed last week or were serving in kids' room last week, please grab one of those because that that's who we are, church, and that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to be at a at a high level, right? So that's that's this church. So what what I want to do today again is is drill into what is going to be our focus for 2024. Because we can't do everything, right? We can't do all things. We can't do everything that, that we could all hope and imagine and think, through, right? There, there's no end to the things that, that I want or you want to accomplish as a church, right? But we can't do everything in a calendar year, right? So we've got we to gotta hone in our focus somewhere. So what is our focus for this year? What goals, what objectives do we have? What are we praying and asking God to do in and through this church over the next year? Well, and actually, what I want to tell you today is that it's going to be a two-year vision, a two-year vision. So what we're going to talk about today is what we are praying and asking and seeking God to do by the end of 2025. So our goal is, is our vision is going to be for this year and next year. And here's the big thing that we are praying and asking God to do in this church, and that is to establish and build this church for years to come to establish Haynes Creek for years to come, to provide what we need as a church to be here for generations and generations and generations. I'll tell you about this in a second, but First Baptist Covington, who helped plant this church originally, celebrated this past year their 200-year anniversary, which is an incredible testament to the work, the power, and the sovereignty of God in and through that church. So my hope and prayer is, what is it going to take for Haynes Creek to one day celebrate its 200th year anniversary. That's what we're trying to do. 
So by the end of 2025, we want this church to be established for longevity. So what do we mean by that? Well, first, let me just kind of recap real quick the history of Haynes Creek. So Haynes Creek was planted in 2015 as a campus of First Baptist Covington. So before the name Haynes Creek came around, it was known as North Campus, right? So it was initially launched out as a campus with the intention and the hope and the prayer that it would one day become an independent, autonomous church, right? That it wouldn't just stay a campus. So that happened in 2015. And then in the year 2020, the members of Haynes Creek decided unanimously that, man, it's time. It's time for us to step out on our own. We're, we're going to no longer be a campus. We're going to be an independent church. So here's the difference between that for those that may be kind of newer to the church world with campuses and church plants and, and all that funky language and things that we get into. A campus of a church is an extension of the home church, right? Typically, it either, um, you know, video casts the preaching of the pastor, or it at least has a shared vision, shared values, shared structure. Um, the leadership is housed at the, the mother church, the main church. Um, the, the main church also supports those campuses. Like, there's funding given to that to help them get established and all those things. There's leaders sent over all that kind of stuff. It's basically supposed to be a mirror image or reflection in a lot of ways of the sending church. So that's what Haynes Creek was. They were a, a dependent campus of First Baptist Covington. So now fast forward to the year 2024, and, and we're kind of focused at the end of 2023 where we are as a church. So we voted in 2020 to become an independent church. So we, are, we separated from the umbrella, the covering of First Baptist Covington. So at the end, or at the beginning of 2022, we became an independent, autonomous church, right? No longer were we tied to the vision, the leadership structure, uh, the, the volunteer structure, all the things that First Baptist does. No longer were we tied to that. We could be our own thing. Now, First Baptist graciously committed to continue supporting us financially through the end of 2023. So we weren't a campus still, we were our own thing, doing our own thing, having our own vision, having our own plan, having our own leadership, all of that stuff, but we were still relying on the financial support of First Baptist. And at the end of 2023, that was still the case. But now in 2024, we're on our own, y'all. We are on our own, but here's the deal. We, we are still, there's still an imbalance between the ministry goals, objectives, the things we believe God is calling us to do as a church and the financial resources needed to accomplish that. There's still a gap. So we are not yet, in, in, in those terms, financially independent, right? We would still technically need some outside additional support. So what that means is, if we continue where we're at, there's going to become a point where either we will run out of people or run out of money and resources, and Haynes Creek would cease to exist at that point at least in the terms of what we typically would think of in a church, right? So, so that's where we're at. That's the state of the church. Currently, we are an independent church. Growing, yes, absolutely, church. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We, are, we grew by 30% this past year. Like, it doesn't seem much when we're this small, but when you think about it in terms of percentages, that's a crazy amount of growth. Like, that, that's significant, okay? So we're growing slowly, but still growing. But up until just a couple weeks ago, we were still relying on outside support. So what we want to do over the next two years is establish ourselves as a church to where we're no longer worried do we have the people and resources needed to be the church that we believe God is calling us to be. 
We don't want to have to fight this battle. Do we have to lower significantly the amount of ministry that we believe God is calling us and leading us to do to match where we're at, right? We want to continue to be that church and raise the people and resources needed to do that. So that's what we're praying God to do. When I say establish our church, that's what we're talking about. Do we have enough people and resources to be the church that God's calling us to be? And that's what we believe is our next step as a church, is getting to that point where we are established. So think about it like this. Um, You guys been on a road trip before? Everybody? Yeah, pretty much. So before we had kids, one of the things that my wife and I would do every single year is we would drive out to Dallas, Texas, because that's where her mom is and that's where her family is. We would make that drive every Christmas, every December. And when you drive from Atlanta to Dallas, the most direct route is to just head west on I-20. You just go west on Interstate 20, and man, you will eventually get to Dallas. So that was our final destination. But in order to get there along the way, there's certain cities and places that you come to. And the first big city that you come to after Atlanta is Birmingham. That's the first place you're going to come to. That's the first big city, right? You can't, you, can't get to, or you can't get to Dallas without going through or near or around Birmingham on I-20. It's just not possible, right? You're going to get at least close to it. So for us as a church, we can't just fast forward and skip to Dallas, right? We can't just fast forward and all of a sudden we've been here for 200 years. That would be awesome, right? That'd be cool, right? That'd be, that'd be amazing. Like just on a road trip where I'm like, can we just fast forward to the end here? That'd be great. Can't do that. That's not how it works with the church. We've got to get to Birmingham. See, for eight years, our church has been, if we're keeping the road trip metaphor here, we've been circling 285 on, on, in Atlanta. We've just been driving around. We've been starting and stopping and taking some steps and taking some steps backwards, but it's been eight years, and we have not gotten to the point where we are fully established for the longevity of this church, for this community. I want us to start taking some steps towards Birmingham. I want us to get to Birmingham, y'all, because if we just keep circling around 285 again, we're going to run out of gas, right? We're not going to get to where we want to be. Let's get to Birmingham. That's the goal for these two years. Let's get to Birmingham. Again, what that looks like, being established, is having enough people, resources, money to be the church God is calling us to be. No longer are we worried, do we have enough to last? Do we have enough to make it? No longer are we worried, man, are we going to burn out all of our volunteers and people are just going to leave because they're frustrated and tired and burned out? No longer are we faced with the decision, do we have to drastically limit the amount of ministry and the level of ministry we believe we're called to because we don't have enough finances to make it happen, right? We don't want to worry about that anymore. Another way we know we've made it to Birmingham, are we having a consistent stream of new visitors who become regular attenders, who become covenant members, because that's what helps us make disciples, right? That's the path of discipleship. Are we seeing people come to faith in Jesus? Are we baptizing new believers? Are we, are we seeing new disciples made? That demonstrates that we as a church are committed to the mission of God, to the advancement of the gospel. We're not just inwardly focused, only worried about each other and focused on each other, but we're focused on the outward work of God in this community and beyond. Are we raising up and developing new leaders to be new elders and deacons and ministry leaders and small group leaders and pastors and missionaries and so on? Like that's, that's what we want to see, church. That's what we're hoping for. Look, there, there comes a point in every church life, man. I've been, in, I've been involved in church planning. I'm 37. I've been involved in church planning in different ways since I was 18 years old. There, becomes, there comes a point for every single church that starts out where there's this tipping point to where you're no longer worried about those things and you fill up enough to where you can spill out and do the work that God's called you. No longer are you worried, man. Are we going to make it next Sunday? Are we going to be here in a year? Are we going to be here in two years? Like no longer, you guys, Tuesday, right? Y'all, y'all around on Tuesday where it just rained 
like from the moment, I don't even know, some point in the night till the end of the day. And y'all saw what happened, man. Like everywhere was flooded. Y'all drove by Ross, that Ross parking lot on Tuesday. That thing was underwater, y'all. I feel bad. Some of those cars that were parked there, like it was all the way up past some of the doors. I was like, oh man, I feel so bad for those people. Like at some point, the water just kept coming down and down and the streams and the water level rose to the point where it just spilled over into everywhere. That's what I want for our church. I want us to spill out into this community and beyond with the gospel. I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to no longer have to worry about these things, and then we can focus on the forward advancement of the gospel in this area. That's what I want and am praying for this church. That's what it looks like for us to get to Birmingham. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, okay? So just kind of have to set that stage so we all know we're on the same page. Hopefully, we all understand what that looks like. So there's two main things that I want us to, to focus on for the next two years that I think will help get us to Birmingham. Two things. Two things I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on being the church and building the church. In order for us to get to Birmingham, in order for us to be established for generations to come, we need to be the church and we need to build the church. Let me talk about what I mean by that. There's two passages that I want us to hold tightly onto over the next two years. I want us to, to read over, memorize, study, look into all that good stuff. Two passages. One is Matthew 16, 13 through 19, and it says this. Matthew 16, if you have your Bibles, great. You can follow along, you can jot down notes, or, or you can follow along here on the screen. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Okay, so what this, at its core, what this passage teaches us is this important truth. And that's that Jesus will build his church. Jesus builds the church. And look, it's, it's, it's his church that he builds. It's not our church, right? We don't, we don't build a church in our image according to our desires and our preferences. No, it is according to Jesus. He is building his church. And y'all, he will build it. He will build it. He does the heavy lifting. He does the work of building. Y'all, it is not because of our might, our knowledge, our experience, our know-how, our charismatic nature, whatever it is, right? It is not because of us that the church gets built. It is because of Jesus. And look, here's the truth that we need to, we need to hold tightly onto. If, if this church is going to be established for generations to come, if this church is going to get to Birmingham, it is going to be because of Jesus' strength, power, and sovereignty. And it's going to be a testament to his great name and glory. He will build his church. A second passage I want us to hold on to, and, and we're going to camp out here for a little while, is, is 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 4, it says this. If I can get my spot right. There we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone, 
rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I believe that, that in this passage, we see with some more depth and clarity what it means to be the church and build the church. So let's, let's chat about that for a second before we get into specifics for these next two years. So what does it mean to be the church? It's important for us to note that when Jesus said he's going to build his church, he's not talking about buildings. He's not talking about building a structure or a place for his people to meet and gather. He's not talking about ministries that we should and shouldn't do, right? He's not talking about building out a successful small group ministry or kids ministry or evangelism strategy or outreach events or things like that. As awesome and as good as those things are and as much as we should be doing those things. That's not what he's talking about when he says he's going to build his church. When Jesus said he's going to build his church, he's talking about us. He's talking about people. He's talking about building his people. Look again at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, see Peter is writing here to Christians, people who have put their faith in Jesus. He's writing to us. He says, You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When Jesus builds the church, this is what he's building. He's building us. He's building us as living stones. He's building us as a spiritual house. We're the building project. We're the ones that he is building. He is making and forming and shaping us to be his people, right? The specific type of people that he wants, that he desires the church to be. That's what he's building. That's what he's inviting us to. That's what he's calling us to. I want to look for a couple minutes here. I want to look a little closer at 1 Peter and see the type of people that Jesus is seeking to build, what, what we're actually called to be here. Look at some of these metaphors that he uses. Uh, verse 5 again, he says that we're living stones, a spiritual house. And, and this whole passage is full of Old Testament references, right? We don't have time to dig into to all of that. But uh, here, what he's talking about, what he's pointing to by saying that we're living stones, that we're a spiritual house, he's pointing to the temple. He's pointing to the temple. In the Old Testament, the Israelites, in order to step into the presence of God, in order to worship God, they had to go to the temple, a physical location, right? That was the primary means of worship and being with God. Not so in the New Testament, right? Not so. He is, he's saying right here that, that, that we're the temple. The temple is now the people of God. That's why we can hang out in a school and still have church or hang out in somebody's basement and still have church. 
or, or be planted in the fields of Africa, right, in, in an open air and still be the church. We don't need a building to be the church. We are the church. We are the temple. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he says that we're, we're being built to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. And the, again, in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who did the work of God. They represented God to the people of Israel. They were the ones that displayed the power and the glory and the sovereignty and the will of God to the people. They did the work. And now, again, what, what we're being told is no, not only are we the temple, we're also the priests. Not only are we the people of God, the, the, the temple of God, where God's presence dwells within us through the Holy Spirit, now we are also the priests of God doing the work of God in this world. That's what we're called to. That's what he's working within us. We are to be a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices. The spiritual sacrifices is obedience to Jesus, following his ways and his will, doing the things that he has called us to do. That's what it means to offer spiritual sacrifices. We offer, as Romans 12, 1 tells us, we offer our lives as a worshipful spiritual sacrifice to God. We present ourselves and just say, Lord, do with us as you please, right? We're devoted fully to you, right? That's what that whole loving God, loving people, and making disciples thing is all about. It's committing our lives to Jesus as a spiritual sacrifice. And then look, jump down to verse 9 where he uses four different metaphors here to talk about us. And again, this is also pointing back and pulling from the Old Testament. Verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. What does that mean? What does that mean? A chosen race, it reminds us that we are God's chosen people. I mean, think about that for a moment, that the sovereign God who created and sustains everything in creation chose you to be a part of his people chose you to be a part of his church, chose you to be a part of this work. And not only did he choose you for salvation and bring you into his family, he chose you for the time that you're in. He decides, this is what Acts 17 teaches us, that that he decides when we live and where we live, and it's all for his purpose. You are where you are for a reason, and it is to bring God glory and live out the calling that he has placed on your life to live a life worthy of the gospel, right? All these things we've been talking about in Philippians for the last several months. He has you there for a reason. He chose that. Reminds us of his sovereignty in our lives. It also says that we're a royal priesthood. Again, we are the priests. We do the work of God. As we talked about last week too, the, what, what do priests do? They display and declare the glory of God. That's what we're to do too. We display and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us, the glory of God through Jesus to the world around us. That's what we're called to do. We are a royal priesthood. It also says that we're a, a holy nation. That the word holy means to be set apart, to be different, to be other than. When Jesus calls us in, he calls us to live differently than the world around us. Not secluded from the world around us, right? We don't separate ourselves completely from the culture, from the world around us. No, he calls us to step into that world, step into that culture, and live differently. Live according to him and his ways. Bring that light to the darkness that we see this verse talk about. We are a holy nation living for God, not ourselves, not for this culture, not for the world around us. We live for Jesus. And also, we are a people for God's possession, I mean, we see that language throughout the Old Testament. It just reminds us of the love of God. Again, that he loves us so much that, that, that we belong to him, that we're his, that he's brought us into his family. 
He's brought us into his church. So Jesus builds his church by building his people, by building us into a specific type of people. See, here's what this passage teaches us about following Jesus, what it teaches us about the church. It's this, that Jesus cares far more about who we are than what we do. He cares far more about who we are than what we do. Does he care about what we do? Yes, absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. Like, hey, Travis said I could do whatever I want to. No, 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 calm down. No, he cares deeply about what you do. He cares more about who you are, though. He cares more about forming and shaping you into a specific person, a person that, that loves God, loves people, makes disciples, right? That's what he's forming us into. That's why Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? How can the whole entire Bible be summarized? He said it's summarized in this, that you love God with everything, that you give your lives fully devoted to God. That's what matters most. Jesus cares far more about who we are than what we do. Because look, Jesus, why does Jesus do that? Because he knows that if he can form us into his type of people, the people that follow him, the people that are fully devoted to him, that love him with everything, and he knows that we're going to do exactly what he calls us to do. He knows that we're going to do the right things, right? If we're the right type of person, we're going to do the right type of things. Jesus knows that, that our, our actions are, can always be traced to, to who we are, what we believe, what we're thinking or feeling in those moments, right? Jesus knows that. If he can capture our heart and our lives, man, we are going to live for him. We're going to do the things that he's called us to do. So here's the thing. If Haynes Creek, let's go back to our, our goals and our visions for this next two years. If Haynes Creek is going to be built and established, it is going to happen by us being the type of people God wants us to be, by being the church he wants us to be, by being the disciples he wants us to be, by living out the call to be the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people belonging to him. It's going to happen through us being the church. Right? This is why we have those actions. Can we put that, the, the vision map back up, Blake? That's why we have these, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's why we, we have, have the action steps centered around that. Right? We don't want to, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't want to just say, love God, love people, make disciples, and not, <clears throat> man, sorry about that, church. We don't want to just say those things and just leave it up to you to figure out or leave it up to us to figure out because we would all define those differently. Like we need things to aim for. And thankfully, again, Scripture gives us the roadmap. None of those things came from Travis's mind. I didn't just come up with that stuff. It's here. It's here in Scripture. That's what we laid out last week. Go back and listen to the sermon. Go back and look at that. If you weren't here, please go back to that because this is why we have those action sets. If we do those things, if we are people that live those things out, then we are going to be the church that God has called us to be. If we do those things, we're, we're going to be a church that loves God, that loves people, that makes disciples, that, that, that lives out all these things that we're seeing in First Peter chapter 2, right? So we are to be the church. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing is we are to build the church. We're to build the church. We're to build the church. And, and look, here's what, here's what I'm inviting you into over these next two years. I'm asking you to be part of a building campaign. And I'm not talking about the typical building campaigns where churches where we're trying to raise money for a building, right? We're not there yet, right? That's not Birmingham. That might be, you know, the next big city you come to is like Jackson, Mississippi on I-20. Maybe, maybe that's Jackson. Maybe that's Meridian. Maybe that's Vicksburg. Somewhere around there, right? Somewhere in Mississippi, that's where maybe a building is. We're not talking about that. I'm not inviting you into a building structure, a building project like that. No, we are invited into the building of the church, of the people of God. And you might be like, well, Travis, you just said that Jesus builds the church. 
Yes, he does. But here's the crazy thing about how God works. This is just wild to me. That our, again, sovereign God of this universe invites us into his mission. Asks us to be a part of his building project. I mean, just think about that. Like, we know how broken and messed up we are, right? Like, you don't have to, we don't have to raise our hands and, and confess all the sins and the ways that we struggle. We know that, right? We know that. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not perfect. And, and yet, Jesus still says, looks at us and says, yeah, I, I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of this. I'm inviting you in to building the church. And until Jesus returns, that's what his work is. He is building and growing and advancing the church. He is advancing his kingdom. He is at work to bring more and more people to faith in him. That's what Jesus is all about, and that's what he calls us as his followers to be all about. Look, the work of missions and evangelism does not and should not, let me just say that it should not happen apart from the local church. It should be an outworking of the local church. Right? So I think so often we've just kind of, you know, abdicated our responsibility for evangelism missions to nonprofit missions organizations that do a lot of good, right? There's a lot of good, there's a lot of awesome organizations, but sometimes I feel like we can just, okay, well, we, we, we're writing a check and we're giving it to those people and they're going to do the work of missions. We're like, well, we're good. No, that's not what we're called to do. If we are going to be the church that God calls us to be, we are to be a missional church. We're to be a missional church. Here's, here's what we see in in 1 Peter. Let's go back to 1 Peter. So he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. What's those two words say right after that? It's okay. It's audience participation. What, is it, what are those two words? Come on, y'all. I know you can read. What's those two words? What? Again, what? So that. Those two words are important because it shows us purpose. Why are we the people of God? Why are we a chosen race, a holy nation? Why are we those things? It's so that for the purpose of proclaiming the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's our purpose, church. That's why we exist. That's why he brings us in so that he can send us out. We, as the church, are always to be missional. What that means is we are always to see ourselves as individuals, as missionaries sent by God to wherever he has us, right? Your mission field is wherever you are, your neighborhood, your workplace, your community, wherever you find yourself, going to the store, going to the park, wherever it is, that's your mission field. The people that you're coming in contact with, the people that you're around, the people that God has placed you in, that's your mission field, church. We are to be missionaries sent by God to proclaim his praises. And what that phrase means is exactly what we've been talking about is that we are to display and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be the people of God who go out into our world, into our community, into wherever God has us with the hope and the message and the light of Jesus Christ. That's who we're to be. That's how we build the church. We bring the gospel, the light of Jesus, to those who are in darkness. The church is always meant to be missional. We are always meant to be participating in the building and the advancement of the church of the people of God. Always. Always. That's every single one of us. Mature Christians, young Christians, new Christians, old Christians, whatever it is, right? All of us. We are all missionaries sent by God for that purpose. 
And look, here, here's the thing that, that we need to keep in front of us is we have this incredible opportunity before us in the current age that we're living in. What any sociologist will tell you, anybody who studies religion will tell you, Christian, non-Christian will tell you this, that we are living in the greatest moment of spiritual decline that we've ever seen. Studies, you can look this up, studies will tell you that more people have left the church in these past 25 years than the amount of people who put their faith in Jesus during the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and the Billy Graham crusades of the 1900s combined. The amount of people that put their faith in Jesus in those three big movements of God in this country, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than that amount combined. We are living in the greatest moment, the most significant moment of spiritual decline that we've ever seen in our country. But here's what studies will also tell you is that those who are unchurched or have been dechurched, have left the church, studies will also tell you that they are open to coming back or coming in if a friend invites them. If somebody in their lives who loves and cares about them, who's developed a relationship with them, invites them in. People are looking for something real, something tangible in this world that we're living in. They're looking for something that they can trust and depend on. People are looking for something that speaks hope and life into the brokenness that they see in their lives and in the world around them. And there's lots of things that we can look for to fill those gaps, but there's only one true thing that can actually do that, and that's Jesus Christ. We have this incredible moment to bring the only thing that will bring satisfaction to people's souls, the things that they're, very, that they're longing for, that they're desiring. We have the opportunity to bring them exactly that with the hope and the message of Jesus Christ. We have an incredible opportunity before us, church. We have an incredible opportunity to make a real gospel impact in this community and beyond. I think God's got big plans for this church. I think he's got big things for this church, for this community to reach people here and beyond. And he's inviting us in to do that. So church, let's do that. Let's do this. Let's be the church. Let's build the church. Let's establish this church for generations to come. And, and I want to end as we close up here. I've got some, some goals and some objectives for us corporately, things that we're praying for, and for us as individuals to do. So some things that we as, as your leaders, your elders, pastor, things that we are praying for to see that we're asking and we're working towards as a, as a corporate, like, like big body church, all of us together, some things that we're doing to help us get to Birmingham. One of those is we're going to invest in three really big buckets, three really big things that we try to do as a church. One of those is, is right here, Sunday morning worship. We want to invest in Sunday morning worship and, and do this as best we can. And look, that doesn't mean that we're trying to just develop an experience, right? I can send you to any number of churches where I'm like, man, if you want to have a good experience, if you want to see a really cool show, here's some places you can go. That's not what we're trying to do, right? That, that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is do the very thing that God calls us to do as the church, gather for worship. We want to do it well. We want to do it well. And we want to have our environment represent who we want to be as a church, right? So that's why we want to invest in, in simple things like our environment, like the aesthetics, like the, when you walk in, what do you feel? What do you think? We walk into a school, y'all. We've got, we've got some, some work to do to make this not feel like we're in a gym, right? To make this not feel like we're walking back into elementary school, okay? Like, we don't want people to walk in and be like, oh, hey, I'm back at school. No, we want them to walk in and be like, man, this, this, is, this is the people of God here. 
So we want to invest in things like that. We want to invest in ways that we can improve, even, even little things that seem silly, like, like how things sound. Can we, can we grow in that? Can we improve in those areas? We want to invest in that, the, the overall quality of our Sunday morning worship service. We want to grow that. Why? Not to just toot our own horn, not to be like, look, there's this cool experience. No, that's not. Look, we're, first of all, we're in a gym. That's never going to happen. All right, you don't have to worry about that part of it. We're never going to have that, okay? That's not in our ob- objectives, okay? What we're trying to do is do this really well because it honors Jesus. It brings him glory, and this matters. It's a big deal. So we want to invest in that. We want to invest in our kids' ministry, right? We, do a, we put a lot into our kids' ministry already. We want to do even more. Why? Because we love families here. We love kids. We love the next generation. Man, this, this generation that's coming up is going most likely the way things are headed. They're going to be walking into an even more spiritually depleted world than we are living in right now. The investment in the next generation matters, us as parents, man, we got, a, we got a heavy task ahead of us. And I don't know about y'all, but I need all the help that I can get. And that includes my church body helping me out. So we want to invest in our next generation. We want to invest the gospel and pour the gospel into children and come alongside parents and encourage them in the discipleship and care of their children. That's why we're investing in our kids' ministry. We want to do even more with our kids' ministry. We're also investing in our discipleship environments, right? Our small groups, Bible studies, um, uh, D groups, whatever it is, Sunday school, right? Like how can we make those the best that we can? Because again, that honors Jesus. How can we make those awesome and a great place to plug into and and accomplish what we're seeking to accomplish? How can we do more of that, right? Like, that's why we're rolling out Bible studies. We don't have a place to meet midweek. That's why y'all are going to be coming over to my house for that, right? Like, we don't have a place. We don't have a building. We don't have a, uh, that'd be awesome if we did. We don't. So we're going to make the best of what we got, right? And we're going to try to do it really well. So we're going to invest in those areas. We also want to invest even more in opportunities to reach out and serve and care for people in our community, right? We want to invest in opportunities to display the gospel. And look, just to be clear, that's not a church growth strategy, right? We don't do those things. It'd be great if people, if we serve the community and do these outreach projects and people came here. It's typically not what happens. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is that we love them in the name of Jesus, that we care for our community, that we seek to make it better, that we seek to honor what the Lord has brought us and placed us in. How can we honor Jesus with that? How can we love and care for people here? We want to do that. We want to have increased relational shepherding from our elders. Man, if we're going to be the church, man, we need, again, we need all the help and encouragement and prayer that we can, and that's the role of elders. We are called to shepherd the flock among us, the church that God has provided for us, and that includes an increase. What we need to take some steps in is an increase in relational shepherding with our elders. That means them being more involved in your lives and loving on you and caring for you and praying for you and and seeking to hold us all mutually accountable to the work of Jesus, right? So an increase there. We want to increase and raise up and develop more leaders in our church because guess what? We're going to run out of leaders if we don't do that, right? We need to keep raising up more leaders. We need more elders. We need more deacons. We need more ministry leaders. And Lord willing, as we grow, we're going to need that even more. So we need a plan for that. We need to figure that piece out. And by God's grace, we are asking that God brings us financial independence. I don't want to lower the ministry that God is calling us to. I want to raise and increase it even more. I want to do even more. But in order to do that, we need an increase. That's what we're praying God for. So in order to do this, we need you. We need your help. We can't get to Birmingham without you. We can't get to Birmingham without you. So here, I'm going to close up in the next few minutes here. If you're here, if this is your church, whether you're a committed covenant member or you're just, man, like, ah, this is, this is where I go. This is my church. I'm here, right? I'm in. I'm two feet in. Or if you're on the fringes, here's what I'm asking. 
If you're kind of like deciding, if you're like, I'm kind of here, I'm kind of not, I don't really know, I'm not sure yet, I'm asking you, jump two feet in because we need you. We need your help. We need all the help we can get. If we're going to get to Birmingham, it's going to take all of us together doing this thing. We need you. So here's what I'm asking you to do for the next two years. There's five things that I want us to keep in front of us over the next two years. Here's what I'm asking each one of us to do, right? And I'm a part of this too, right? We're going to do this together. One, pray boldly. Pray boldly. Y'all, I want us to pray big, bold prayers of God over the next two years especially and, and continue that, right, forever. God tells us, Jesus tells us over and over again, we do not have because we do not ask. The way he frames prayer is that we are to ask and ask with persistence, to keep asking until God answers us. We're to ask, we're to seek, we're to knock, and that's what I want us to do. Big, bold prayers for these next two years. Lord, Lord would you do something beyond our wildest imagination? Would you work and move in such a way where we're just going to go, man, like that, I don't know what happened. That's a total God thing right there. Like we want to see God move in such a way where the only possible solution is to go, man, that, that's Jesus. That's all Jesus, right? So we want to pray big, bold prayers. We want to pray it on Sunday morning. We want to pray it in our small groups. We want to pray it in our own lives, with our family, on our own, whatever it is, we want to pray boldly. Number two, we're asking you to attend consistently. Attend consistently. I want you to attend consistently Sunday mornings. I want you to attend consistently your community groups, your Sunday school, your whatever discipleship environment you're in. Attend consistently. Make it a priority, right? We talked about this last week that Sunday mornings matter. This is what makes us the church and not just some other nonprofit organization out there. This gathering makes us a church. This moment matters. And your presence here matters. Hebrews 10 tells us to not neglect meeting together. Why? so that we can encourage each other. Your presence alone is an encouragement. Y'all can feel, we can feel it in the room, man. When this room gets full, when these chairs get full, there's an energy here, right? We want that every week. We want that every week. And and you can help make that happen by just being here. Just being here, just attending, just coming and making it a priority week in and week out that this time matters, that your community group time matters. Attend consistently. And here's what I want you to do when you attend. I want you to attend with a desire to participate and engage. Don't just come to be a fly on the wall and just kind of hang back and kind of just watch and observe. No, I want you to attend and participate. Okay, this is why, this is why we, we, we have these journals, right? So these journals is our gift to you. And what I want you to do over the next two years is, is engage. And for me, it helps for me to write things down or else I forget. Right? If you tell me something on Sunday mornings and I'm like, hey, can you send me an email or hey, let me type that out on my phone, I'm doing that so that I don't forget because by the time I get in my car, I will forget everything. That's just, I, you know, it's a struggle for me. Y'all can pray for me about that. So I have to write everything down. What this does is it helps us to participate in Sunday mornings by taking notes. And look, I'm not asking you to take notes on the sermon because I'm the world's greatest preacher. I know I'm not, okay? I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not the greatest preacher. But here's what I've learned over the years. Because, man, when you, when you go through seminary and you're a young guy in ministry and you learn some theology, the first thing that happens is you think you know everything. You think you know everything and you start being hypercritical about, oh, well, that, you know, that's not really a gospel-centered sermon. You start being really critical. And what the Lord opened my eyes to is it's not the skill or delivery or the method of the preacher. It's the content. That's what matters. I could be the worst preacher up here. We could have the worst preaching ever. But is it preaching the Bible? Are we hearing the word of God opened and explained and declared? If that's the case, the other stuff doesn't matter because God has something for us. 
every time his word is opened and explained and taught and declared, the Lord will use that to speak to us. But here's the thing, we gotta be open to it. We have to come with this attitude of humility and teachability to say, Lord, teach me. Open my eyes, open my heart, lead me. So that's why I want to encourage you to take notes. Also, our community groups are sermon-based small groups, right? You are discussing the, the text in more detail once you get to group. It helps to know what we talked about, right? It helps to know the things that the Lord taught you and reminded you of during the sermon so that we don't forget, right? So take notes. Take notes in your small group, right? I don't know about you, but our small group has this time of, of prayer requests, man. Write those down. Here's the awesome thing about writing down prayer requests is because you can, you can flip back months or weeks later and be like, oh man, look at all the answered prayers of God. That's incredible, that's an awesome opportunity we have to be reminded of the, the power and the glory and the love of our God. So take notes, take notes. All right, so attend with the desire to participate and attend with, ex- excuse me, attend with expectancy. I want you, when we come through these doors on Sunday, I want us to step in expecting God to be right here with us and to move in glory and power and to do something incredible every single week. I want us to have that mindset every time we step in, to expect God to actually be here as he promises us and to actually move in power like he promises us. Let's come with an expectancy. So we want to intend consistently. Third thing, we want to give generously. And let me just say this, for those of you that give, because I know many of you give, and I know many of you give sacrificially over and beyond the means that, that, that you otherwise would, right? I just want to say thank you. Thank you. God bless you in that. Like, thank you so much. We could not do this without that. Thank you for those that give. And, and let me just say this to those that, that may not be giving yet, I want to invite you to do that. And look, it's not so we can puff up our bank accounts, right? I always tell people this, like, God doesn't need our money. That's not why we give. It's not like, here, God, let let me give you a tip for a good Sunday morning. No, that's not how it works, right? That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not the mindset that we're talking about. We give so that we can continue to advance the gospel and the work of ministry. And I told you guys, there's more that I want to do. There's more that I think this church can and should and will be doing. But a lot of that costs money. That's just the practical nature of it. So if you are committed here, if this is your church, I'm asking you to give. Pray, consider, seek the Lord's wisdom on what he wants you to give. And then give generously and joyfully like we talked about last week. Number four. So we want you to pray boldly, attend consistently, give generously, and serve sacrificially. Look, all this stuff that you see around here, all the stuff that you see, all the kids' ministry, everything that happens on Sunday morning and through the week, man, it is, it is done by volunteers right? Like, if it just rested on me, it would not be anywhere near as good as we have right now. Like, it would not be anywhere near as put together because that's just impossible for one person or a couple people to do. We rely on volunteers here. So for those that serve, and some of y'all serve week in and week out, and look, that's not the expectation. I just want to say that clearly. Like, that's not what we're asking and expecting you to do. But for those that do, man, thank you. Thank you. Like, we, this stuff gets set up by volunteers. The coffee gets made by volunteers. Sound is run by volunteers. The band, other than Johnny, is led by volunteers, right? We need you. We need you serving. If you are not yet serving, I just want to invite you, man, come in, join us. You'll see God work in new ways, man. You'll be filled with the joy and the love of Jesus in different ways that you thought possible. Like, step in and watch God work and move in you. Look, reality is we need help with sound. We need help with the band. We need help with setup and teardown. We need help in kids' ministry. We need help making coffees. We, we need more community group leaders. Like, we, we need volunteers in every way, shape, and form that you can imagine. We, we need you, church. So if this is your church, if you are here committed and you're not yet serving, I want to invite you into that. Let's step into that and serve Jesus together. And then the fifth thing, 
So we want you to pray boldly, attend consistently, give generously, serve sacrificially, and we want you to invite relentlessly. We want you to invite relentlessly. I want all of us to participate in our building campaign. Participate in the work of Jesus building this church. And to do that, we have to invite others into the work of God. We have to invite others into the people of God. So think about your Jerusalem, like we talked about last week. Think about those who you are close to. Where has God placed you? And invest there. Invest in relationships with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with those in your world, those people that you interact with on a regular basis. Invest in relationships, care deeply about them, and then share the truth of Jesus with them, right? Share the gospel with them, and then also invite them to come here with you. That's how evangelism works, right? We, we go and share the gospel, and then we also, at the same time, invite others to join us in the work of God. Invite others into the people of God. Let's do that together. Let's invite relentlessly, man. Thank anybody in your life, man, that you can invite into this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let, let's be the church and let's build the church. I truly believe if we, if we do these things, right, if we, if we live out the way that we're supposed to live, if we, if we live out the gospel, if we live and be the church that God's calling us to be, and we go forth and declare and display the gospel where God has us, we build relationships we share the gospel, we share the truth of Jesus, we invite others here so they can hear even more about Jesus. If we do those things, I truly believe that God is going to bring us to the next step, that he's going to build and establish this church for generations to come, where your kids are going to be growing up and being here as elders and leaders in this church. That's my hope and prayer. That's what I want to see. Y'all, let's, let's, let's give this two years. Let, let's, let's do this, right? We can only do it together. It's only going to happen if we are all here, engaged, doing this. I really think God's up to something. I'm excited to see that. So let me pray for us. And uh, as we do every week, we're going to step into this time of communion. So this is the time for believers in the room only. This is the time for, for those of you who have trusted and put your, name, your faith in Jesus to have a moment where we pray where we come before the Lord, where we just sit and we be with him and we remember who he is and what he's done for us. We remember his sacrifice on the cross. We remember his shed blood and broken body for us, his people. We, we worship that, we remember that, we celebrate that and we go to the other end of the table as you're ready, as you're prepared. We take the bread, we take the cup, we eat, we drink, we remember and worship our good God and Savior. And if you're here and, and maybe you, you don't know Jesus, you're, you're unfamiliar, or you're somewhat familiar, or you're just not sure about this whole church thing, look, I get it. First of all, I'm just thankful that you're here. Second, I, I don't want to end without reminding you or telling you the gospel, that Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins, that he died so that you could have eternal life. And he rose from the dead so that he can forgive you of your sins and grant you that life. And in order to step into that, in order to step into that forgiveness, that freedom, that satisfaction that Jesus alone promises, all he says is to put your faith in him. To say, Jesus, I'm done living for the world around me. I'm done chasing after the things of this world. I'm done thinking that I can somehow save myself, that somehow my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. I'm done living for that. Jesus, would you save me? 
If that's you here today, if you want to do that, man, I'll, I'll be hanging out in the back. I'd love to chat with you about that. We have leaders here that would love to talk with you about that as well. Don't, don't leave today without talking to somebody. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you build your church, Lord, that, that you are working all across the globe right now, building your people. There are people gathering right now in places we don't even know about that are worshiping your name, Lord. That is all because of you, Jesus. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your global work and advancement of your kingdom and the gospel. Lord, I thank you for this, this church right here, the church at Haynes Creek in Oxford, Georgia. Lord, I thank you for its beginning. I thank you for sustaining us for these eight years, Lord, and I pray for you to continue to do that for 80 more, 800 more, Lord, until you come back would this church be here. So we ask, Lord, we ask boldly, we ask in your name and your power, would you establish us for the long haul, for longevity, for generations to come, Lord? Would we be the church that you want us to be? Would you build this church the way that you want to build it, Jesus? We love you and we ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen.